we come around this one bend, we come around the bend, there were maybe a hundred bison just on the trail? On the trail and all the way down to the river. And they started, they were looking at us. They were a little concerned. And, and we've learned this, that one of the ways you can tell if they're concerned is if their tails go up. And we came around the corner and this we saw some tails go up. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. In today's episode, we're discussing our Great American Bison Road Trip. A couple years ago, we wanted to take a good old road trip in late summer. So we decided to drive a huge loop through the Northern Plains states and visit as many public places as we could that have bison herds. Yes, these majestic animals are truly impressive and they're one of our favorite creatures to seek out in the parks. So of course we had to plan a whole trip around them, traveling to public lands throughout Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. We'll start off sharing some interesting facts about the buffalo, or I guess I should say bison. We'll talk about that as well, why they have two names. Then we'll go into detail about the parks we visited and some of the things we did. At the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. You know what concerns me a little bit now that we've done, what is this, episode 13? Mm-hmm. Does that Lu- mean it's bad luck? <laughs> no, lucky 13. <laughs> but my recorder, you know how on an iPhone you ha- you. You can take a photo with a live version, and it takes a few seconds before and after when you of when you pushed yes. the button. Yes. Well, the recorder here has that same feature. It's always recording, and then as soon as you hit record, it picks up the last few seconds. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and puts it on the recording. So I'm. <laughs> I'm a little concerned. I have to, have to give you hand signals when you're allowed when to speak to. because <laughs> so, sometimes I'm not sure we want everything yeah. you say recorded for the This is a great episode because it is about our great American bison road trip mm-hmm. from a couple years ago. Are probably one of our favorite road trips we've ever done. Today we're going to talk about some of those things, not just about the bison that we saw. Of course, that that will be prominently featured, but also about some other really fun things that we did along the way. So let's talk about why, why the heck are we going to see bison? Well, first of all, I mean, who doesn't love bison? It's such an iconic animal, such such an amazing symbol of of the West. It's the United States' first mammal. I know it is. I know. Because, well, there was the bald eagle was a national symbol. And then the American bison became the United States' first national mammal. The mammal. <laughs> the, the, the national mammal. The emblem of the continent. That's right. That's right. And it's also just such an incredible um, success story, how they almost went extinct at the turn of the century to now where they're they're flourishing in all these parks and other places where they used to roam. Yeah, we're very fortunate that this species was saved and there's there's an incredible amount of information around 
what exactly happened to the bison? Why did they almost become extinct? Researchers are kind of uh, rethinking how large the bison herd in North America was. And they're kind of the, the popular uh, thinking is at one time it was about 30 million animals mm-hmm. at one time in North America. There was earlier estimates that it was a lot more than that. But that 30 million got hunted down to certainly fewer than 500. Some people think it was even fewer than 100. And what happened was this created this uh, what they call this genetic bottleneck. In other words, all of the bison that we have today are coming from their descendants of this 100, 200, 300 animals that that survived. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing that there were there were some ranchers that had the foresight to 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 get some of the bison before they were completely extinct and sort of save them on their own little property and 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 breed them and that's an interesting story that these people had so much foresight at this point of crisis. They basically found the bison wherever they could and started protecting them in these small herds. And it was it was a handful of ranchers and, and other folks that uh, were very careful in those early years to get the herd back up so that it, it, it survived. Just a couple of fun facts about the bison. How big can they get? Well, the males can get up to what about two thousand pounds, and I think the women, the women, the women bison, okay. the gals <laughs> usually hover around maybe a thousand because they're they're more petite. I'm glad you're saying all this and not me. <laughs> also, a fun fact is that they they look so. Um, Gosh, what's the word? They look kind of lethargic as they're just sort of standing around, but they are fast and they can run up to 35 miles an hour. And did you know, Matt, that they can also jump and spin and they're they're really agile. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> After you were talking about the women bison, I... I am not making any more comments about their ability to spin or jump. Or... It seems like there's a lot of confusion between are they called bison or are they called buffalo? Well, as a kid, we always called them buffalo. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for it was hard for us to change. We always called them buffalo. They're, that's not the correct name, but, but that's what we call them. I think what happened was no one knows for sure. But back in the 19th century, there were a lot of folks that came, a lot of aristocrats came from Europe to hunt bison here in the United States. And these, this same crowd, they, they had a lot of wealth and they traveled the world to, to hunt. And they, these, a lot of these same folks would, would hunt in Africa. And they, they were familiar with buffalo in Africa, water buffalo. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they came to the United States, they were hunting bison in for lack of a better way to describe to people back home what they were hunting, they just called them buffalo. And so they, they got, it, got it confused with water buffalo or cape buffalo. But they are bison. They, mm-hmm. are, they are not buffalo. So, but but you, don't t- you don't talk about the, the bison nickel. It's a, it's a buffalo nickel or I know. bison New York. It's, I might call them buffalo on this podcast. You can call them whatever you want. Just, I mean, it might just slip out. It's heartwarming to us to see how national parks and state parks all across the country really are maintaining herds and preserving herds and actively seeking out herds 
on their public lands um, in places where they used to roam freely. So, and, and a lot of these parks have been doing it for many, many decades, and some of these places um, have new herds. So we decided, actually, I think you decided, Matt, that a really fun thing to do would be to go on a bison tour. Bison tour. I wanted to mm-hmm. create t-shirts. Yes. Matt, you I, made I, a logo. I did. I had the t-shirts ready to go, but I <laughs> I could read your facial expressions. Well, Matt, and, because who was on the tour? You and you and I. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you don't want to wear a matching T-shirt with me. There has been times where you've made me wear matching clothes. That's true. That's true. Well, maybe on the next one we can make the T-shirts. But um, we decided we would go for two weeks and sort of hit the places along the northern plains states that have public bison herds. We didn't go to all of them. There are a lot of public lands that have bison herds that we could not get to in the two-week span. And there are others that maybe we'll talk about a little bit that weren't on this particular tour. This Mm -hmm. was just one big loop drive through the Northern Plains. Mm -hmm. And we hit as many bison as we could. And we'll talk about some of the other stuff, that fun stuff that we did along the way. Exactly. So in September 2018, we loaded up the truck. We got many, many boxes of Cheez-Its. And we set off on our great American bison road trip. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Our first stop on the Great American Bison Road Trip was actually Regis, Montana, where we spent the night, uh, because the next day we were going to go to the National Bison Range. That was enough driving for us to get to Regis, and we spent the night at the Super 8 Motel there. (laughs) And then the next morning early, uh, drove from Regis there to up to the Bison Refuge, and that's a beautiful drive along that highway north of Regis, Montana. Oh, it's gorgeous, and you're in um, you're in Lolo National Forest, and it's absolutely beautiful up along there. the Clark Fork mm-hmm. River. Now, the National Bison Range is run by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and it's about it's a little over eighteen thousand acres, and it was established way way back in 1908 to protect bison and, and other wildlife. There's more there than just bison. It's beautiful scenic loop. Uh, We saw a few solitary males. Do you want to explain (laughs) what a solitary male is? (laughs) It's a male buffalo that's solitary. (laughs) They live longer than they are capable of breeding or care to breed. And these these bison that are males that are past breeding age, they hang on for a long time. And they're, they're pretty much not interested in anyone, anything else. And they just hang out by themselves. And they can live for years and years and years this way, and they get huge. So sometimes you'll see just a, that's what it is, a solitary male hanging out by himself. And uh, Mm -hmm. now they they may look lethargic, but you wouldn't want to mess with one. They're mean. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think that age is, Matt, when they're, when they stop being interested in mating? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
We're going to have to move on. Okay. So the scenic loop runs for about 19 miles. It's one way for most of the way for like 16 miles. And it is gravel, although we thought it was in really good shape. And as Matt said, we really didn't see any bison except for a few males until we got all the way around almost to the end. And then uh, we rounded a corner and there were probably 30 bison next to the road. I thought we were going to get skunked. I did too. That we weren't going to see any. And then this, we were, matter of fact, we were just on our way out. Mm-hmm. And that last maybe mile or so, we ran into a herd. And, and so we pulled over, just parked on the side of the road. Because you can kind of tell which direction they're moving. Yeah, it's it's fun to be in the safety of a vehicle and watching them up close. However, we have, you know, read stories about where, where bison get agitated and they actually do climb on top of a, of a car. Yes, they can so break, they can break windshields. They, yeah. So it's not, it's not a hundred percent safe. Plus you can't drive away if there are bison in front of your truck. So, you know, you do have to be somewhat careful, but, but it was fun to see them up close. So this um, bison range has about 500 bison on their property. And it has a nice little, uh, Visitor center. Oh, really nice visitor center. We went at, in after our drive, and there's a huge stuffed bison right. in the middle. And uh, we were talking to the ranger, and he was telling us about Big Medicine. Their <laughs> most famous bison. Uh-huh. So he was born in 1933, and he was a rare white bison. Now, he wasn't – I think this is very interesting. He wasn't a complete albino bison the the fur on the top of his head that little tuft between the horns was brown mm-hmm. so uh and he had blue eyes right, right. so it wasn't uh, maybe that's even more rare than a, mm-hmm. a pure albino and big medicine who, whose nickname was whitey he lived he had a good long life he lived into his 20s and when he died, they stuffed and mounted him, and he is on display now at the Montana Historical Society in Helena. So sometime I would love to go. We didn't have time on this trip, but I would love to go and see Whitey. And if you're ever traveling through that I-90 corridor of Montana or in the Missoula area, it's definitely worth a visit to go up there and mm-hmm. and, and see the bison. Definitely. Our next stop was going to be in North Dakota, and we had a long way to go. It seems like the the drive from Montana to North Dakota just stretches on yeah, forever. It's, it's, it's a big state. It's a big state. So we made it as far – that day we made it as far as Great Falls, and we spent the night there. And then the next morning we set off for our first national park in North Dakota. discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day there were stretches of eastern montana that seemed to go on for hours and hours i know and i i do love that's one of the things i love about a road trip is getting on some of the smaller roads and just driving past the farms but it it was a long haul and then we crossed into North Dakota. So we came to the southern unit of Teddy Roosevelt National Park from the west. It was early enough in the day that we were able 
to still go into the park and do a do a short hike. Yes, I think it was about two o'clock when we got there. So we we went to the visitor center to get some hiking suggestions because we had had only been there once before in 2010 when we did our original park tour. And, of course, we were hoping to see the bison, and we weren't sure where they were located. Now, the bison in Teddy Roosevelt National Park came in 1956 when they brought 29 bison from – Fort, is that Niobrara? <laughs> Am I saying that right? I don't know. I don't either. Someone write it and tell me how to say it. Fort Niobrara National Wildlife Refuge, which is in Nebraska. And so that is how their herd got started. And now um, the park has a north unit that has anywhere from 100 to 300 bison, and the south unit has anywhere from 200 to 400 bison. Back to the ranger, uh, he suggested we hike the big plateau hike. And I remember him saying, as he was describing the hike to us, there will be a small water crossing. You might get your shoes wet. Right. (laughs) Again, (laughs) we get warnings from rangers. (laughs) You might get wet. (laughs) That's right. So we park at the trailhead, and we find find the trail, and Mm -hmm. we're we're hiking not – very far, quarter of a mile. We get to the small water crossing, which is the Little Missouri River. That's right. And we just stopped and looked and thought, wait a second, where, where's the trail? And I think we wrote in Dear Bob and Sue Season 3, matter of fact, this whole tour is in Dear Bob and Sue Season 3, that it was about a hundred foot wide water crossing. And I look at our photos. It's it was way more than a hundred feet. <laughs> it's it, a river. It was a river. <laughs> and we just stood there thinking, well, are we just supposed to go just walk across it? And you just went. I did. Well, and I w- filmed it so that I could have a record of where you disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it was only a little above my knees. And even though then, of course, the rest of the day we had soaking wet hiking boots. But um, we made it across and almost immediately we came to a prairie dog town, which is one of the other things I love about Teddy Roosevelt National Park besides the bison. Yeah. And they whistle and squeal at you as if they've never seen a human being ever before. I know. I know. They're pretty darn cute. I hate to say. Yeah. Even though they're closely related to squirrels. <laughs> they are rodents. <laughs> they are rodents. Now, this big plateau trail that we were on has a lot of trails that branch off it. So we wanted to do a loop, and there were several options of just depending on how big we wanted the loop to be. So I think we hiked for about an hour, hour and a half out, and then we decided it was time to turn around. So we just we found the next trail on the map that was headed back. As it happens sometimes in the Plain States in the afternoon, storm clouds started building. <laughs> big ones. And so we thought, okay, no big deal. Uh, we're, we're kind of You can kind of judge how far off the storm is. And we had, I don't know, maybe a mile to go to the truck. And the, we could start, then we started hearing thunder. Mm-hmm. But again, we thought, no big deal. We're not that far from the truck. We could see the river at that point. Yeah. However, we come around this one bend. We come around the bend. There were maybe a hundred bison just on the trail. On the trail. And and all the way down to the river. And they started they were looking at us. They were a little concerned. And and we've learned this that one of the ways you can tell if they're concerned is 
if their tails go up. And we came around the corner and this we saw some tails go up. Yes, we did. Although <laughs> we also found out later that their tails go up when they pee. Right. So a couple times I was about to freak out because I saw a tail fly up and then the guy was just peeing. But anyway, at that... But if the tail stays up <laughs> for a while <laughs> and you don't see any pee... You, you're Th- in that's trouble. That's a concern. <laughs> they were blocking our path to the car. The only way back to the truck would have been back backtrack probably a good three or four miles. Right. And the storm was at this point getting a lot more threatening. As we were standing there looking at them on the trail, to the right, they were thick as thieves all the way down to the river. And to the left, there were some giant boulders and then a cliff face. So we didn't have a whole lot of options as far as going around them. But again, because we couldn't retrace our steps all the way back, we decided we'd scramble up on the boulders and try to go around them to the left. And and that's what we did. Yeah, we just moved slow. Yeah. And we, there were there were more tails going up in the air, mm-hmm. but we, we didn't have a choice. Snuck past them. Well, we thought we would sneak past, but there was another prairie dog down oh, right yeah. there. And they that's, started squealing the, at us really loudly. The <laughs> they were giving our gave, location gave away. Us away. <laughs> but anyway, we made it around. Uh, nobody seemed too agitated at us. And so at that point, we basically ran back to the truck. And ironically... This, this storm kind of kept going. It, well, it, it held off for another. It, it held off for yeah. a while, and, and mm-hmm. it gave us enough time to actually drive through the park some more to mm-hmm. look to look for more bison. That's right. So the south unit has a wonderful scenic drive, Loop Road, where it, it's not very long, and it seems there are always bison along this road. It's a favorite of ours. So before we went to have dinner, I asked you if we could go drive the scenic loop road and see if we could see any. And sure enough, there were a ton of them right by the road. Not only that, but there were but there were some babies as well. Yeah, there, there were little ones. And you kept commenting on some of the, <laughs> some of the male bison in the herd. I, I don't know what, <laughs> what your fascination was, but like that was. you mean when I said about that one, he's going to make some lady buffalo very happy. Is that yeah, what you're referring yeah. to? <laughs> I thought that was a little weird, <laughs> but that was probably time for us to take a break from the bison and maybe go 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 have. Go to the tavern in town and have dinner. <laughs> yes, it was time for that. And sure enough, as soon as we finished dinner, we had dinner in the cute little town of Medora, which is right outside the park. Lots of cute little shops and restaurants there. So we were in a saloon, which was fun. And then when it was time to drive, our hotel room was in Dickinson. That's where we usually stay. When it was time to drive to Dickinson, of course, all hell broke loose when we were, got on the highway. And that storm hit with with. That was crazy. I, I'm very surprised that that the truck didn't get totaled from the hail that was coming down, or the the windshield didn't didn't break out. We were it was so thick at one point. We were driving down the highway, and I it was so thick. I I decided we got to pull off, mm-hmm. and I thought something was wrong with the with the truck because I thought maybe we had a flat. And the hail had built up so thick on the highway that we were losing control. So it, it was a crazy storm. It was crazy. People were pulling over on the, on the interstate, and uh, you couldn't even see to drive. So it was wild, a wild storm. But fortunately, we made it back to Dickinson. And when we woke up the next morning, there weren't any dents in the truck, but there were all kinds of little chips in the windshield. Right. We did have some chips, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that day, so we had one more day in the park. That day we went to the north unit, which we had never been to before, uh, to check out those bison. And um, again, stopped at the ranger station, got got a recommendation for a good hike, and we did that. And uh, we couldn't see any bison. No. Remember? Not a single bison. <laughs> Not a single bison. We and then we drove there. They they also have a scenic loop road, and we drove that. Not even in the distance. Not nothing. Zero. Not a. And it was zip. a beautiful day. It was sunny. The, mm-hmm. the storm had passed, but you thought maybe the bison were all hiding because they were scared of the. Yeah, pale? I think they took cover somewhere. There's probably somewhere there's with some overhang or one some spot <laughs> where all the bison go. A, a that bison was my cave. theory. Your yeah. theory was that there really aren't any there bison aren't any, in, and in the this, North Unit. It's just a big goof. Mm-hmm. So that was about a half day. Then we drove back to the South Unit, and we found, which I thought was really cool, that we did not know there is a petrified forest in Teddy Roosevelt National Park, and it's on the far west side. You have to drive out on this dirt road. So we went out there and did a hike. There's a huge loop hike that you can do for many miles, but it doesn't take too long to get into the petrified forest itself. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. A lot of the petrified chunks look like big stumps. Yes. It looked like the, the petrified wood had formed, uh, the, the stump part had had broken off and had then eroded around it. And, and they were really impressive specimens of petrified wood. They were. They Actually, there were way more pieces of petrified wood than we saw when we went to Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona. And these pieces were huge at Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, there were some that were the size of refrigerators, some the size of Volkswagens. Right. And they were just lying out there in the open. Nobody was around but us. There's no rangers. There's no nothing out there. <laughs> just this incredible, huge pieces of petrified wood. Yeah. So I know, kind of geeky on our part. I know, not, we, not everyone likes yeah, petrified wood as much as you. I know, <laughs> but I just had to mention it. A definitely worth a stop. Um, and then after another trip to the saloon in Medora for dinner, you know, they, they were getting to know us at that point. We, um, we had asked the ranger, which we typically do now, where a good place to watch the sunset is. And he recommended that we do the short hike up on the Wind Canyon Trail, which is the overlook to the Little Missouri River. So we hiked up there. There were just a few few other people and we watched the sunset and it was beautiful. It was a fitting end to a really good couple of days. And then the next day it was going to be time to head to the Black Hills of South Dakota. The Black Hills of South Dakota. I know. So we drove straight south from Dickinson to Rapid City, South Dakota. And along the way, we stopped at Bear Butte State Park, mm-hmm. which is just north, kind of northeast of Sturgis. Mm-hmm. And you had found that park in your research about where the bison are. Right. I had never even heard of right. it. And they, uh, so this is a, this is a small park that has a herd of nine bison (laughs) it's the smallest public herd of bison isn't it in the united states nine so bear butte is uh an area that is sacred to native americans and uh so it's the essentially the, the park is surrounds the butte and there's a nice hike that you can take up to the top of the butte we did not have time to to do that hike 
Uh, but it was nice to we, – we walked up the trail a little bit. So we saw the butte, saw the area, and um, wanted to see the bison. We, we saw them out there. Uh, and then we went into the, the visitor center mm-hmm. to ask them – about mm-hmm. the park and and talk about the bison and it was funny the the rangers were very nice to answer our questions but as soon as we started talking a- asking questions about the bison they they got much more talkative then i thought it was one of the saddest stories i don't even know if i could tell it without crying <laughs> because what they said was um so every year when the baby bison are born in the spring and and the year we were there, um, so there were seven females and two males and the seven females had had six babies. And every year, because there is not room on their land to have more than nine bison, they send the little babies off to live at Custer State Park. They come in a truck and they take the babies away. And so the mama bison are not happy about this. No, and, and she said that the mother bison are so, are so distraught when they take okay, you tell <laughs> <laughs> So the obviously the the mother bison don't like ha- having their babies taken. And the ranger told us for weeks the mothers are looking for their babies. And they said, well, be, they had just taken them what about a week before we got there. And they said, yeah, they'll come and they'll look in your car windows. And mm-hmm. and now that the mothers were, as they said, were moping, I'm sure they were heartbroken and they were just kind of hanging out there. But this happens every year. And I, I, I know there are they have very legitimate reasons for doing that. But to me, it's yeah, they don't have they don't have the space for them to right. be healthy and have right. the herd just continue to grow. Right. And I just have to remember that those baby bison, I'm sure, have a great life in Custer State Park. Yeah. The ranger told us that it, one of the males is a breeding male and then the other is, he said, doesn't make babies anymore, <laughs> which I thought, <laughs> I'm not sure that that bison would be happy being described that way. Yeah. It like, seems like the, personal information. doesn't know that the rangers are talking to him. That's like, right. I, I don't want to be... I don't want anyone describing me that way. Like, oh yeah, that's that's my husband over here. There, over there, he's he's the one that doesn't make babies anymore. <laughs> so we went from uh, Bear Butte, which has one of the smallest public bison herds. We drove over to Custer State Park, which has one of the largest public bison herds at over fourteen hundred head. Uh, and Custer State Park. If you haven't heard us say this before, we absolutely love Custer. It's one of our favorite state parks in the entire country. Right. Large herd and beautiful land, great scenic drive throughout the park. Uh, you can ever in Custer State Park and you're wondering where to find the bison, <laughs> <laughs> they have an interesting way of telling people where the bison are. They have this visitor center and in the middle they have a big table that shows a map of the park and the roads. And what they do is they have these little plastic bison that they put on the map indicating where the bison are. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess the idea is that in order to not have to answer the question a thousand times a day, that the public can come in, they can just see the map, they can see where the bison are. And it wasn't intuitive to me that that's what it meant. Well, no, there's no sign that tells you that. Right. They're so, just sitting on top of the map. Right. So there's a couple of plastic bison on there. And, and I made the mistake of 
asking the volunteer woman there where the bison are. <laughs> she just she just pointed her clipboard towards the map. They're over there. <laughs> and I, I didn't wasn't really sure what that meant, but then we we figured it out on our own. Mm-hmm. And then you were going to move the bison. I was going to move the bison. I was also I was also going to bring one of our plastic bears from home mm-hmm. uh, and then put it also put it on the map and the bison came to that area when back when Custer State Park was called Custer State Game Sanctuary and it was back in 1914 and 36 bison were brought in to start the herd and in less than 30 years the herd had grown to over 2500 bison and they were overgrazing the park so now well not just now but for years they've been having a buffalo roundup to uh, to manage the herd and reduce the numbers and we've always wanted to go to this buffalo roundup we've never quite made it no, because it's usually at the end of September, mm-hmm. and September is such a busy travel time for us. But we got to do that sometime. We, we gotta, do. We got to clear the calendar and and make it to the Custer State Park Park Bison Roundup. It's I guess it's a festival, mm-hmm. and, and it's fun to see them bring all the the bison in. That's right. And so, just like how they took the babies away from the moms in Bear Butte, they have to manage all of these herds. And if the herds grow too big. They won't be able to find enough land to graze on. And so they have to manage these herds every year. And what they they have a lot of solutions, right? They give away bison to Indian tribes. They auction off bison. They, they do a lot of things to try to reduce the size of these herds. Right. And in some cases, they're auctioning them off to the public that, that actually harvest them and, mm-hmm. and eat them. But that is... Better than having a population too big, and then it puts stress on the bison, and then mm-hmm. they're they're struggling to they're struggling to eat or main, maintain the, the good health and in, in the land space that they have. So it you know it, it is unfortunate that they have to call these herds and auction auction them off, but it, it's better than the alternative. Mm-hmm, definitely. After we left the visitor center, we drove the wildlife loop road, which is where uh, we were told we could find the bison. Uh, this loop road is 18 miles of open grassland, and it usually is where the bison are hanging out. And sure enough, uh, a few miles in, we came across a huge herd uh, and also a huge uh, crowd of people as well. Yeah, a lo- lot of folks. And mm-hmm. they were also interested in the donkeys. Oh, the there? begging burrows. The, beg- the begging burrows. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know how many burrows they have. It's. I mean, it's not a huge number, but no. maybe if, 10, 15. Yeah. And they were they were there. Pe- people were very interested in them as well. After we uh, took some photos and checked out the herd in Custer, we drove over to Wind Cave, which adjoins the park. Right. The it's road adjacent is, to, mm-hmm. yeah, to the it's south. It's adjacent. You know, most people go to Wind Cave to do the cave tour, which is what we did when we originally visited in 2011. But we didn't even realize at the time that Wind Cave has between 350 and 500 bison. Yeah. Up up on the top, not in the cave. The, the bottom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not down in the cave. <laughs> and it's home to one of only three free-range genetically pure herds. The other two are Yellowstone and the Henry Mountains of Utah. Yeah, and and the, just a, a short side trip. The Henry Mountains, the, the bison in Henry Mountains, that's a fun story because, again, they were put there years and years ago to create another herd to preserve them, and they put them in one place mm-hmm. in southern Utah, expecting them to live by the river, and they 
over the years, they decided to make a new home and they've made their way to the Henry Mountains. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And and free range, if you're not familiar with that term, it's exactly what it sounds like. They they roam free. There are no fences. So most of these herds that we visited are fenced in in some way or another, in, but not in Wind Cave um, and not in Yellowstone or the Henry Mountains. So we didn't realize until we started doing research for this trip, we didn't realize the role that Wind Cave played in, in saving the bison. So back in 1905, a group of 16 people, um, including Teddy Roosevelt, formed the American Bison Society. And their goal was to preserve the bison and also return them to the states where they had once thrived. So they were looking for a place in South Dakota, and they chose Wind Cave, which had recently become a national park. So in 1912, Congress established Wind Cave National Game Preserve, which was in and around the park. And 14 bison were shipped to Wind Cave on a train. Uh, They were shipped to Hot Springs, uh, South Dakota, and then they were taken by wagon, by horse-drawn wagon into the park, 14 of them. And the rest is history. They thrived, and and now there are, you know, between three and 500. It's a pretty cool story. It is. So we drove around uh, Wind Caves, beautiful property, uh, and we only saw some solitary males. Right. Well, the the land, uh, the footprint of the Wind Cave Park is pretty big. Mm-hmm. and has a lot of grassland, mm-hmm. and so it, it's pretty easy for them to be off in an area of the park that you just can't see from the road. So you don't you don't always see them when you're driving through Wind Cave. That's right. That's true. And when we were done um, driving through the park, we headed back into Custer State Park where we were staying at um, this really beautiful lodge called the State Game Lodge. Um, and it's one of those historic lodges that was built in 1920. And it just happened to be the summer White House for President Calvin Coolidge back we, in 1927. Who, who I guess didn't like to do a whole lot of presidential chores or, or, <laughs> or work. Yeah. So he, so he went did. to South Dakota, spent all summer there and, and pretty much fished all the time. Yeah. Well, he, he was, it's a beautiful he, place to yeah, spend the summer. Yeah, he figured that the country kind of could run itself. So that's... <laughs> Um, Now, the next day, one thing you have to do if you go to Custer State Park is you have to drive the Needles Highway. It's absolutely beautiful. So I think it's one of the most scenic roads we've ever driven. So we, from the State Game Lodge, we go north uh, and we're heading towards Sylvan Lake, the area of Sylvan Lake, Mm -hmm. driving on the Needles Highway. And these tunnels that are on the Needles Highway, uh, that, that hood tunnel is it's just 10 and a half feet wide. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm, I'm pulling the side view mirrors on the truck in when mm-hmm. we're going through that. The Iron Creek Tunnel's nine, and, and then the Needle's Eye was like, whoa, it was less than nine. It's about it eight, was, and a half, yeah, eight and a half feet. I know. It's crazy narrow. Right. It's these dark tunnels. Yeah, one-way traffic. So I, I guess it can get um, pretty hectic over there as people wait to go through one at a time. But this Needles Highway is only open April through October because apparently they get a lot of snow in the winter. Um, it was built way back in 1922, and it's um, it's 14 miles in length, and it has hairpin turns and these granite spires surrounding it. And it's, it's a really, really a beautiful drive. We went through one of the tunnels. There was a 
mountain goat just perched right next to the opening of the tunnel and then all the traffic was stopping to look at the mountain goat but it was it was it was really cool yeah it was fun to see everyone was jumping out of their car it was fun to see Uh, so our destination at sullivan lake was uh, the trailhead for black elk peak which we were going to hike that day Um, now black elk peak is uh, one of the highest peaks what did they say it's over seven seven thousand yeah is it it's the highest they say it's the highest peak uh east of the rocky mountains yeah it's a absolutely beautiful hike it's seven and a half miles round trip and you gain about 1500 feet elevation but you are climbing up to this uh, stone fire lookout tower that was built back in 1938 and it is really something to it's see it's a beautiful structure mm-hmm it is incredible. And that volunteers have been working on this structure for years just to maintain. And gosh, remember when we were there, there were volunteers and they were uh, putting in new windows and doors. Right. And and some and some of the uh, men that were up there were uh, major donors to the fi- financially to the effort of uh, restoring this is just a beautiful structure and, mm-hmm. and surprising to see. In, in a wilderness area at 7,000 feet, uh, the incredible stonework that's that's up there. Yeah, we loved it. And when we got back down to Sylvan Lake, there's also another beautiful hike. Well, there are lots of beautiful hikes there, but you can take an easy one. There's a about a mile loop that goes around Sylvan Lake, and that's absolutely gorgeous to see this lake from all different angles. Uh, plus, on another trip, we also did the Sunday Gulch hike, and that was that was right. fantastic. So the Sylvan Lake area is a, a great spot to hike, and and if if you're looking up trails, if you see a reference to Harney Peak, that's the same as Black Elk Peak. Uh, it was changed from Harney to Black Elk a few years ago, and there's still even some signs that will say Harney Peak. When we finished, we went to the little town of Custer, which is outside Custer State Park for lunch. A really cute historic little town, you know, little cute shops and restaurants. And then we found your probably your favorite retail store of all time. It is (laughs) Claw Antler and Hide. So it's Claw Antler and Hide, all three. That's right. uh, Yeah, I I bought your Christmas present there. Yes, you did, which was a complete surprise. I didn't know you were buying it. And on Christmas morning, when I opened my gift from you and opened the box, it was a chipmunk rowing a birch bark canoe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you loved it. (laughs) I was going to get you. There was a little bit bigger canoe, and it was two squirrels. Oh, it was double squirrel? It was double squirrel. Mm-hmm. But one of the squirrels had a concerned look on his face. And I thought maybe it w- it was roadkill. And oh, so God. I thought I would go with the chipmunk. <laughs> now, if you're in the Black Hills area on a, on a trip, you also should probably check out Mount Rushmore National Memorial and Jewel Cave National Monument. Those are both in the same oh, yeah. area. And yeah. those are... The we, Black Hills are, are fantastic. We, we we need to do more trips to the Black Hills. There's that, so much to do there. So many National Park Service sites. So that kind of wrapped up our time in the Black Hills. So the next morning, we checked out and headed for Badlands National Park. Where the air is so pure and the zephyr so free and the breeze is so balmy and light that I would not exchange my home on the range for all of 
Yeah, from uh, the Black Hills, we kind of backtracked back towards the east to Badlands National Park. And uh, they have a bison herd. It's also a little tough to find them sometimes. It is. Because Badlands has so much open grassy uh, space outside of the area where the scenic drive is that where you go through the Badlands. Kind of the bison are off kind of in another area. Uh, when we are there, we usually find them on that, like the northern edge of the park up by Sage Creek Rim Road. Yeah. We seem to have the best luck up there. Yeah. Now, the bison were introduced to the Badlands in the 1960s. Uh, Fifty bison came from Teddy Roosevelt National Park. And then later, 26 more bison came from Colorado National Monument. And actually, they completely removed the bison from Colorado National Monument. They aren't there anymore. Um, And now they have about 1,200. Yeah, and they they have plenty of space for, for bison and a lot of great of grasslands. So it, it, it's a good place for them. It's probably as close to their natural habitat as, as anywhere in the northern plains. Uh, but they, they are sometimes a little tough to find. They are. So we uh, had the day free, so we weren't sure exactly what hike we wanted to do. We stopped in again and asked a ranger. He recommended the Notch Trail, which is a pretty short little hike. It's only about a mile and a half round trip. But the thing about the Notch Trail that the ranger told us is that you have to be willing to climb a wood ladder that's about 75 feet tall. So it sounded fun. (laughs) It wasn't. The the wood ladder itself was not that difficult or scary going up and down. What made it frightening was the other human beings on the trail. Which is usually what the case. So on, on our way up, there were a couple of, of visitors on the trail that kind of got halfway up the ladder and freaked out. And then they had to be talked up by their you know, the people they were with. Uh, and then when we were coming down, a woman was descending the ladder with a baby in a backpack on her back, and she was, gosh, she was precarious. I, I, I couldn't couldn't watch. She was she was yelling at her husband, and the baby was swinging back and forth as she was going down the seventy five foot ladder. So any, anyway, after that. We drove the scenic loop. So Badlands, again, like other parks, has a beautiful scenic loop with all kinds of overlooks to go go and see the, the gorgeous formation. So we drove that before we headed to... To Wall, South Dakota, to Wall Drug, <laughs> which I, I am not a big... Uh, I, I'm not big on retail therapy, uh, unless it you know, has animal hides. But uh-huh. we got to Wall Drug and... I liked it way more than I should. <laughs> I know. Well, it's an institution. It was um, established in 1931, and it's 50,000 square feet of retail and dining. I mean, it, the place is massive. It, is it just massive. keeps on going. Yeah. And they get about 2 million visitors a year. Right. That's – yeah, I, I enjoyed it way more than I should have. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I know, because we split up, and when I came back to find you – because we had agreed on a time we were going to leave. When I came back to find you, you were still shopping and you had a pair of flag cowboy boots. American flag cowboy boots. That you were just right. getting ready to buy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? And you and you tricked me into not buying them by a, 
offering me maple fudge. Mm-hmm. And so that distracted me long enough. That broke the spell. Uh-huh. But it works every time. To make time. a long story short, I think a couple months later, maybe maybe six months later, I did buy American flag cowboy boots. You did. You so, got your pair. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd recommend stopping at Waldrog. I mean, it's just fun to see. Uh, but we were staying in Rapid City. Uh, so we had about an hour drive to get back. Uh, we went back late afternoon and did laundry and had dinner. And then we were kind of looking at each other. And I suggested to you that we drive back the hour into the park and watch the sunset. Yeah, it's it's kind of a long drive. But the good thing about the open road in South Dakota, you can drive like 120 miles an hour. <laughs> so you can, get there, you can get there pretty quick. You know, the Badlands are these these open landscapes where the dirt, the there's not a lot of grass and, and particular parts and the eroded landscape. And the colors are much brighter, it seems, and mm-hmm. at dusk and at sunset. And so we got some really great photos of the landscape. And we did. It was beautiful. And there was nobody out there. We found a couple of different spots along the road where we pulled over, took pictures and watched the sunset and the sky just lit up in all these colors. And I, I just thought it was magical. And it was that was the best time I think we've had in Badlands National Park. So definitely worth the hour drive back. And then, of course, we had to drive the hour back again to our hotel in uh, Rapid City. But uh, but it was great. It was a great day. And then the next morning, we would be leaving South Dakota to spend some time in Wyoming. Yeah, we were inclined to just drive, hightail it from the Black Hills over to Yellowstone. But there's some cool places to go that we just hadn't done before when we were in the area. And one of those, just west of the the South Dakota-Wyoming border, is Devil's Tower National Monument. And we had never been there. And Devil's Tower had been on my list for a long, long time. I remember as a kid watching Close Encounters of the Third Count. Maybe I wasn't a kid. I'm not sure what year it came out. (laughs) But anyway, remember in the movie when Richard Dreyfuss makes a replica of Devil's Tower out of his mashed potatoes? Yes, I do. I know. That kind of stuck with me. But I've always wanted to see it. And it did not disappoint. As you're driving there, you can see it from a long way away, rising up from the landscape. It rises like what? I wrote it down, 1,267 feet. So Devil's Tower has been a national monument ever since 1906, so a good long time. Now, once you get into the park itself and you go to the visitor center, there are two trails you can do. There's the paved tower trail, which is 1.3 miles around the tower. And that's very accessible to, you know, strollers and and pretty much anyone. And then there is a little bit more challenging trail called the Red Beds Trail. It's a dirt trail and it's a it's a wider loop. It's two point eight miles around. And that's the one we did. And it's not very strenuous. No. And, and there's there's no. fewer people there. And it also gives you you're a little bit better perspective because you're just you're a little bit further away from mm-hmm. the rock. And so you're you have kind of a better view of it. And then of course it's it goes all the way around. So you get to see the formation from from all angles. Uh, But when we were finished with Devil's Tower, 
We headed on to the town where we were going to spend the night. And, of course, we had to spend the night in Buffalo, Wyoming. Buffalo, Wyoming. So we had one more day out before heading to Yellowstone. And we stopped a couple of more places that were just briefly going to mention. These were not places that had bison. They were just places we wanted to see. One of them was called Medicine Wheel Historic Landmark, and the other one was Bighorn Canyon National Recreation Area. So if you want to know more about those places and what we did there, we wrote about them in Dear Bob and Sue Season 3. But up next, we wrap up our great American bison tour in two of our favorite parks, Yellowstone and Grand Teton. Of course, Yellowstone National Park is the home to the largest free-ranging herd mm -hmm. of bison. And uh, they've also been in the area of Yellowstone National Park. They've, they've been there. They're native to it. They've, they weren't brought there uh, from, from anywhere else. As the bison were being hunted to extinction, some of the last few that, that weren't hunted were right there in Yellowstone National Park. So they've been there basically forever. I know. That's so cool. The bison are pretty much all over Yellowstone National Park, but a great place to see them sort of in massive numbers is Lamar Valley, which is up to, on the north side of the park. Um, Lamar Valley, you can drive for miles and miles. And if you're lucky, you'll see some of the bigger herds of bison up there. Right. That's a beautiful area that we love to go to whenever we're in Yellowstone National Park. And you can just park at one of the pullouts and mm -hmm. watch the bison. And, and it's also a good place. Uh, we've seen wolves in L the Lamar Valley also, but it's, it, it kind of looks like the home on the range. It does. It's beautiful up there. But on this particular day, we were coming from Cody. So we went in the park in the east side entrance. And our first stop was we wanted to stop and take a look at Yellowstone Lake Hotel. So Yellowstone National Park has a lot of great historic lodges and Yellowstone Lake Hotel is one of them. It was built around 1890. And it's one of the few that we hadn't seen yet. So we stopped and walked around and checked out the lake. It was beautiful back there. And after um, after we checked out Yellowstone Lake Hotel, we headed to Old Faithful Inn because we didn't have a reservation for that night. I remember we had our camping stuff thrown in the truck, so we weren't really sure. That was the one night we didn't have any reservations, and we thought if we couldn't get them there, maybe we could camp somewhere. Um, so we stopped there first to try to book a room, and, and we had really good luck. Yeah, they had a room available for us The Woman at the front desk says the only the only thing is it's it's in the old house section uh, of the inn and it doesn't have a bathroom. Mm -hmm. But at this point, our our alternative was sleeping in a tent <laughs> with no bathroom. Right. So we thought, yeah, this that that would be great. So we we talked in more detail about this in episode four mm -hmm. of this podcast series about. Of park lodges, right? So we tell we tell the story of of that room, and, mm -hmm. and right? And and a, and a lot more detail about Old Faithful Inn, which is one of our absolute favorite park lodges. So yeah, episode four, if you're interested to hear more. 
So for that afternoon, we wanted to go and see Grand Prismatic Spring and do some hikes over there. A lot of people have seen it as an aerial shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, people have taken photos of it from airplanes from above, and there's also a, an, an area that you can actually climb up the side of a hill and, and, and get a photo of it. But if you do, if you go to visit that thermal feature and walk the boardwalk, you don't get the same perspective. You don't. You, as a matter of fact, it's hard to even tell it's the same, that you're in the same spot. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was... There's a hill behind the spring that people used to climb up and take photos. They would go in the trees, and they weren't allowed to do this. It was They were making their own, own trail. And so many people were up there trying to get this good angle of the spring that National Park finally just decided they're going to put in an actual officially sanctioned trail up there, and they put in a little overlook. And so now you can go up there and get a, a great – shot of Grand Prismatic Springs. Yeah, it's really nice. It's only it's about a half a mile trail to get up there. It climbs about 100 feet. So it's very doable. So that went in in 2017. So I'd highly recommend uh, checking that out if you want to get if you want to see it in all of its beautiful colors. Now, right over in that same area is the trailhead to Ferry Falls, and that was our hike for the day. And then about a half of a mile further down the trail from Ferry Falls is um, Imperial Geyser. So we hiked all the way to the geyser and back, and that's about five miles round trip. And if I remember correctly, there's like almost no elevation gain. It's very flat. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a long walk is what it is. But then we went back and, and we were able to check into our room at that time. And if you remember from our podcast, we had to check in twice because right. the first time we couldn't find the light switch. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, so uh, finally, we got a room that where we could figure out how to turn on the lights. And again, went back out at sunset, mm-hmm. got a great, got some great shots of Old Faithful going off in the dusk time frame and then the sky turned brilliant orange and we got some more great photos we'll have to put the a couple of those photos also in in this episode's notes on on the website definitely now if you haven't been to old faithful geyser the visitor center does a very good job of predicting when it's going to erupt so everyone has an idea of when the next eruption is and there are all kinds of uh, bleacher seats around the geyser where you can sit so it's you're just not wandering and waiting wondering when it's going to go off you you actually know um, so yeah as Matt said we had a great time yeah we had a, we had a great time there we we didn't see see a lot of bison around Old Faithful Inn, but but we've been on other trips we have seen them. So so they they frequent that area, I, I think. Oh, I've seen photos of Old Faithful erupting with a bison standing in front of it in the in the frame of the photo. That would be my dream is to see dream. that. <laughs> you have a lot of dreams. I know. <laughs> Maybe one of these days. But that day we went to bed early because the next day we were driving down to Grand Teton National Park. Yeah, that next morning before we went to Grand Teton, we got a great view of the Old Faithful Geyser going off 
right? Right at sunrise. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because if you stand in just the right spot, the sunrise coming up behind it, it actually makes it look like the geyser's on fire. It right. makes it look like flames are coming out. So so that was really fun to see, too. So we'll post some photos of that as well. But um, after that, we did the drive down to Grand Teton. Now, we always stay in the Coulter Bay Village area. We like those cabins over there. Um, so we headed in that direction to um, check in. And there's a nice visitor center in Coulter Bay Village. So we stopped there to talk to the rangers about a hike we wanted to do that day to Delta Lake. Right. You had seen some photos of Delta Lake and you wanted to go up there to, to see this be- beautiful lake. The only problem is or, or was at that time, they weren't real keen on visitors going into the park and hiking up to Delta Lake. There was no official trail to right. the lake. And the way we got there, there's, there is an established trail to one of the peaks and you kind of, there's, we knew exactly right where to get off that trail and, and then make our way up to Delta Lake. But we w- went in to ask the rangers if they could give us any information because we figured they, they might have some, some tips on how to go, get to Delta Lake. And, mm-hmm. and they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first two rangers we asked didn't. And they said... They could not tell us anything about Delta Lake because it's not an official park-maintained trail. So they shut us down. But then another ranger, as we were about to leave, he kind of pulled us to the side and he said, hey, I hiked to Delta Lake yesterday and I have some photos on my phone that you can see and I can tell I can tell you about it. And we kind of looked was, at him. It was a little weird. It was, it was like, a little weird. But it's then, like a drug deal. It was I like, know. He, was, he was, hey, come over here. He was whispering, <laughs> come over here and look at my phone. I'll show you a picture. And then, he, then when we kind of go off to the corner, he shows his phone. He goes, I talked to my supervisor. She said it was okay. Mm-hmm. for me to show you these photos. I'm sure they figured it was better to help us than to have to rescue right. us. <laughs> like these, these people are going to go up there anyway. And they're going to so die. So you might as well tell them how to get there. Yeah, so Delta Lake is nine miles round trip and the elevation gain is 2,400 feet. And I swear the 2,400 feet comes all at the very end. After you leave the maintain trail and you sort of set off on your own, you're scaling the side of this mountain. It is extremely steep. There is no trail. Basically, we were pulling ourselves up by tree roots. Other than the trail in Black Canyon of the Gunnison that we actually didn't do because we were starting to fall off the side of the mountain. It was so <laughs> steep. This is the steepest trail we've ever done. Ever. There were times where we literally were pulling ourselves up. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have to reach down to grab the rocks and the roots. They were right in front of us. I know. As we were climbing. Yeah. It, it was super sketchy and scary. And I kept thinking That's in my a mind. muddy. Too. Yeah. And I thought, as hard as this is going up, what's it going to be like going down? That I was worried about that, too, because sometimes that's even harder. But I have to say, when we got up to the top to Delta Lake, it was 100% worth it. Yeah. That is exquisite. This greenish turquoise colored lake surrounded by mountains. Absolutely beautiful. And we were glad we did it. Yeah. It, and, and a lot of other hikers that we could see on the trail they didn't know where they were going. I know. We could see that they were going the wrong way, and then they were ended up on even more steep spots. So we did the one thing that we normally don't do. We asked people coming down. On our way up, we asked people coming down for advice. Mm-hmm. And that probably saved us. That was very helpful. Yeah. So uh, so we made it just fine, got back to the, to the truck with a, a few scrapes. 
<laughs> and some bruises. But otherwise, I thought it was definitely worth it. Then we wanted to go look for bison because we hadn't seen any bison yet at Grand Teton. And in past visits to Grand Teton National Park, we had seen them in the south. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, there is a herd. It's not confined to the national park grounds. Like they kind of make their way between the elk refuge to the south and the national park space. So you, you're not always sure where they're going to be. But sometimes you'll see them in the south, kind of down by the airport. Mm-hmm. And that's also a great opportunity if you see them there to take a picture towards the west where you have the the Teton Mountains in the background and you have the bison in in the foreground. And so we're kind of looking for that. And we went to the um, historic Mormon Road District. Um, you've probably all seen that photo of the barn. It's called Molten Barn, and it's got the Tetons in the background. It's one of the most famous photos um, out there. But uh, so we were there, you know, looking at the Molten Barn. Still, still no bison. <laughs> so. No, we were hoping the bison would be at the barn. So we get the bison, the barn, and the in the mountains. Although I've seen photos of that. It's probably a, a rare situation, mm-hmm. or either that or Photoshop. I don't know which. Yeah, so no bison that day, unfortunately, but we went back to our little cabin and and showered, and then we went to uh, the Signal Mountain Lodge for dinner, which is really pretty on the lake there, and we asked our server where, where her favorite spot is to watch the sunset. Yeah, we tried to go up to the Sig- Signal Mountain to mm-hmm. see the sunset. And then we kind of misunderstood the instructions because we went all the way to the top, which then looks out towards the east, which, you ke- of course, you can't see the sunset. And, and so we, we were confused. We came all the way back down, which which was fine because we ended up, we went down to the water, the edge of the, uh, of the lake, and we went to the little beach by the campground. And that was perfect. Yeah, it was a perfect night. It was a really great way to end our great American bison road trip uh, sitting there at the sunset at Grand Teton. And it was time to make our way home. How often at night when the heavens are bright with the light of the glittering stars I stand there amazed and I ask as I gaze does their glory exceed that of ours? So we had a long way to drive to get home. And on our way back, we were driving north through Teton National Park, then through Yellowstone. So mm-hmm. we're driving through Yellowstone, and then we're going to catch 90, uh, Highway 90, and head all the way back to Seattle. But so we still had a drive through Yellowstone, which is always fun. So we, we took the loop of the road that kind of goes to the east side of the park. And every now and then we would stop and see some bison. There was at, at one point, there were all of these cars pulled over. And we had pulled over with them and bison were milling about and crossing the road every now and then. And we got some great photos. And it was time to kind of head back, you know, towards towards home in earnest. So we leave uh, that area and we drive maybe another mile. We're driving along Yellowstone River. And I'd seen some bison on the other side of the river, off to the right side of the road. And I thought it was maybe maybe good opportunity for us to get some more photos. So I, I pulled the truck over. And off in the distance, 
this was maybe, maybe they were a quarter mile away on the other side of the Yellowstone River. We see a few bison coming out of the trees and then a few of them start running. Fast. And... Well, that was unusual because usually they're, they're, they're not running just to run. They're, they're trying to conserve their energy. And around the corner comes a few more and then a few more. And they just keep coming. They're running out of the trees and around this bend in the mountains. And they're running towards the river. And I thought, well, maybe they're just going down to, get to, a drink. to the river to get a drink or whatever. And I don't know what was scaring them out of the, out of the mountains, but – um, they were running from something and they get to the river and they stop for a moment. And then all of a sudden, they just start swimming across the river in mass. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing sight to see. Oh, my gosh. It was one of the coolest things I have ever seen. I mean, seeing them charge down the hill and there were probably what, two to three hundred. Oh, yeah charge down the hill and then swim in mass across the river. I don't know. It was like stepping back in time, maybe 200 years to what it must have looked like back before before they had become extinct and come back again, but it was it was a sight to see, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was beautiful. So we mm-hmm. sat there and watched that for a while and got some good video of it and some photos and just just watched it was just fun to see it. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like the perfect way to wrap up the Great American Bison Road Trip. It was like, that was like the final act right there. It was yeah. it was pretty special. Yeah, that was a great, great road trip. We're going to have to do that again. I know. We have some other uh, bison parks to add to the list now. Oh, yeah. discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day now it's time for mailbag all right mailbag (laughs) today's question is from ashley in indianapolis and she writes i recently went to badlands national park and i saw Beware of rattlesnake signs everywhere. I'm terrified I'll run into one while I'm out hiking in the parks. When you went to all the national parks, did you ever encounter rattlesnakes? Oh, Ashley. (laughs) I'm sure there are a lot of times we were close to rattlesnakes that we didn't know it. I do like the the display that Badlands has of the rattlesnake that's in the plastic uh, box right on the the visitor center, uh, the countertop there by the rangers. That's right. And they do have a lot of signs, rattlesnake signs at Badlands for sure. We have run into a few snakes. Uh, We have one incident that we talked about in the Guadalupe Mountains National Park. And I don't know what, which season we wrote about that. I don't know if that was season two or season three, but uh, to make a long story short, we, we were climbing up Guadalupe Peak, and on our way down, uh, I was kind of in a daze, and I stepped on one, and he rattled while I was on top of him, and he was very, very agitated and upset, and fortunately, uh, I got off of him, and he went away pretty quickly, uh, or at least a few feet away, and uh, so yeah, there are, there are rattlesnakes are out there. We've seen 
We've seen some when we're camping. We were we were backpacking in North Cascades National Park one time with John and Lolly, and went out at at dusk to look at an overlook. And we were walking through the trees, which we probably shouldn't have because in that that part of the country there's a lot of uh, rattlesnakes. Any anyway, as we were walking back towards the trail, I, Lolly was in front of me, and I grabbed her right before she stepped on a rattlesnake. So. Yeah, they're they're out there. The one the good thing about rattlesnakes are they usually let you know that they're there. Mm-hmm. If they're going to a, a strike, they're usually rattling, and it's it's no mistake as to what mm-hmm. what, what that is. Unless of course you step on one, and that that's yeah. a whole different set. The thing. rattle is a warning, though. It doesn't always mean they're going to strike. It means you know danger. <laughs> danger. <laughs> and there's also a lot of bull snakes out there that look just like rattlesnakes. Now, I, I know most people don't care to stop and examine the snake carefully, but the bull snake looks just like a western diamondback, but it doesn't have a rattle. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a harmless snake. So, mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is like some of these rattlesnakes can be small, very small, and and they're just as dangerous. I know that there's some pygmy rattlesnakes in the Buckskin Gulch area, and uh, it, it's so you got to be careful where, where you sit, where you put your backpack down. Definitely, definitely. But I wouldn't let your fear of rattlesnakes discourage you from going to the parks because if you watch where you're stepping and you don't walk through scrub, and you're you know if you're on a maintained trail and you're watching the trail, I think you can pretty much avoid them. They're not going to jump out of the bushes no. at you. No. If, like Karen says, if it's a maintained trail and you can see where you're stepping, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where people decide, oh, I'm going to go take a photo of that thing over there or I'm going to go look at this thing. And they walk through the scrubby area and there might be one sunning itself or under mm-hmm. a bush and you disturb it, that's where you kind of run into problems. Right. They also say most people who get bit by a rattlesnake do so when they have picked up the rattlesnake. Yeah, yeah don't, so don't, 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 don't pick them up. It <laughs> doesn't sound like that's no. in your plan. No. But And if also if it makes you feel any better, they do sell snake gators, right? Or yeah. they just, if you don't know what that is, it's sort of a, I don't know, what would you, how would you describe a gator? Well, it's a, it's a piece of cloth that goes, it, it hooks on the bottom of your hiking boots and goes up to about your knees. And it essentially just protects your mm-hmm. your legs below your knees from uh, snake bites. That, mm-hmm. That's where they're going to get you. Right, they're, right. They're, they're not. They're not jumping up at your face or anything like that. They're and and they they don't want to strike at you any more than you want them to strike at you. That they, they would rather you just go on your way. Exactly. And, and a ranger told us generally rattlesnakes know how big you are by the vibration that you create when you're coming down the trail. So they know you're too big to eat. And they they they're not gonna mess with you mm-hmm. unless again you step on it or try to pick it up and right and right. then all bets are off. That's right. <laughs> so get yourself some good hiking boots, some gaiters, and go out and enjoy the parks. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobbins, or you can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. We'll review all the questions that come in, and we'll be answering some of them in our mailbag segment in future episodes. 
To see pictures from our Great American Bison Road Trip, go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com and click on the title for episode 13. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information. Thank you to all of you who've given us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. On our last episode, and possibly the one before, I asked listeners to help us get to 300 ratings, and we surpassed that. We smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you ask every time. I know, I do. <laughs> now, you, do you have a new goal? <laughs> I'm just going to say that if you haven't had time to leave a review yet, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen to our episode on a different app like Spotify or Google or Stitcher. And seriously, though, thank you. Matt and I are, are really, really grateful. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by the very talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon, and we want to give them a special thanks this week as they went well above the call of duty by performing the Home on the Range music you heard throughout the episode. This original recording was a wonderful surprise to us. We had no idea that they were also musicians. Yeah, that was such a surprise when we got the draft of the episode to hear Annie and Jonah they actually performed the transition music. What a talented couple. I know. It was amazing. Yeah, that, that, was, that was really great of them to do that. We absolutely loved it. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. Here's hoping you don't see any tails go up on your own bison viewing adventure. Mm-hmm.